0: folks. We'll be in John 19 uh, this morning. Brother uh, Larry called in and said he better not get out that Sister Kay was running a fever, not feeling well. And so um, uh, told him we just uh, finished John 19. Uh, He said that next week uh, John 20 Uh, will be the study, and Brother Mark Biles will will be uh, leading in that study. And so we'll finish up here in John chapter 19. We're thankful to have uh, this time in class together. Appreciate your presence uh, this morning as well. As you know, this uh, chapter is all about the crucifixion of our Lord. And um, there are so many details that are worthy of our notice as we go through these uh, verses and these words. And so let's notice some of these together. We'll start in John 19, uh, 28. John 19 and 28. Let's read a couple of these together. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, And this was to fulfill scripture. He said, I thirst. I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there so that they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. So this brings to our attention once again the extreme hatred they had for Jesus to take sour wine when the man is at his death and in extreme thirst and giving sour wine to drink. Um, We see hatred today and it's very unfortunate but this is extreme hatred as well. Let's think about this for just a minute. Turn back with me to John 15 and notice Jesus discussing hatred back there in John 15. I'm going to begin verse 18 with you, John 15, verse 18. The world, uh, the Lord says, John 15:18. Uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. i uh, seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Notice that. They hated me without a cause. Now, this here in John 15, and also that which we just read in John 19, is a fulfillment from Old Testament. Let's run back there. Psalm number 69. In your Bibles, run back there with me to Psalm 69. And notice how this hatred was um, prophesied. Okay, notice first of all in Psalm 69, Psalm number 69. And uh, verse 4, Psalm 69, verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. Now this is David speaking, but in David's words also are projected what would happen to Christ. David had his own persecutions. He was faithful to God. But this also projected what would happen to the Lord Jesus. They would hate him without a cop. Notice also here in Psalm 69 verse 21. Notice Psalm 69 verse 21. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So Psalm 69 is a prophecy of the hatred that would be slung toward our Lord uh, Jesus. So these, these men around the cross who grabbed that sour wine were very hard hearted Men. They had very little idea of what was really happening on that cross, and they participated in a very cruel uh, death. But hatred is something that uh, blocks the minds of people. Hatred is the cause of why so many cannot uh, think sensibly today. So many uh, cannot bring themselves to consider God and his words because of the hatred that abides in their heart. Notice with me uh, quickly over to 1 John chapter 2, and then we'll move on. Look at 1 John 2 with me. In 1 John 2, verse 10. 1 John 2, 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but watch out that was verse 11 verse John 2 11. but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes I believe that is a that's an appropriate description of what happens in the world and what's happening it seems like even in our own country, increasingly uh, people have such a hatred for that which is uh, pure and true from Scripture that they cannot see their way, they, they can't possibly see their way uh, toward any uh, light at all. Okay. So any other comments you'd like to make about the hatred that is being portrayed here toward uh, Jesus as he, as he dies on the cross? First, uh, back to John nineteen now twenty eight. You know, we notice first of all the hatred um, toward Jesus, but also notice the the word on the, the words of Jesus here, uh, the simple words, "I thirst." I thirst. Now, how many sayings are there that Jesus said from the cross as he died? Jesus yeah, the sayings that he said while he was on the cross. That's, there were was seven ones. So, how many of those can you name? It's finished, finished. Okay, it is finished. Coming up. Right. What else did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Behold thy son, behold thy mother. May okay, I thirst. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, Someone said, Father, forgive me. Forgive them, for they know not what to do. But here is another one of those powerful statements Jesus says on the cross, I thirst. I thirst. This may bring to you several ideals about Jesus, but one, of course, is that he... He came as a man. He took on flesh. John 1.14 uh, The word became flesh. Jesus was flesh. He, he, he felt, he, he experienced uh, the very things that we experience in life. And the very weaknesses uh, of the flesh. He, he would grow tired. Uh, and of course he would, he would be thirsty. We remember when he came to um, the area of Samaria. We read about there in John four uh, that he thirsted and he asked to drink of the lady at the well, and and, um, and she, of course, um, they began a great conversation about eternal life there at the well. But uh, Jesus was both tired and thirsty there as he came uh, to that lady there in John so we're reminded here of the humanity of Jesus he was both the Son of man and the Son of God what are some things that Jesus did in his life that reminds you of his humanity just think okay he wept John 11:35 uh, Jesus wept very human. Emotion wept over the, the grief of Mary and Martha in the household of, of Lazarus. What about some other things that Jesus did while on earth that reminds you of humanity? He the and turned tables over. Okay, he cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple. And um, he showed um, a lot of different emotions. One of those being the cleansing of the temple. Our our little ones classes in the back are studying that uh, last week and this week and next week. Jesus cleansing the temple. I would love to to see the reactions of little ones to think about Jesus turning over tables and driving those animals out. Turn back with me to Mark chapter uh, 3 for just a second. Mark chapter 3. Remember this, Mark 3, the first few verses. Jesus enters the synagogue and the man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might be able to accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, being grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Notice Jesus' emotional responses to this... this, uh, continuous uh, resistance to the truth, not just to him, but resisting God and the truth. So he looked ab- on them with anger, but he would never let his anger drive him to sin, but he did have that emotion. Then he was grieved. He was grieved in his heart because of their hardness of heart. Okay. So when we see here in John 19, 28, Jesus, of course, Dying on the cross for our sins. He expresses this emotion, our thirst. And reminds us that he was indeed human. As he was indeed divine. And he is human. And he is divine. And he prayed. He prayed. That is a a human instinct to turn upward uh, when you are distressed especially. Jesus fearing? Yes. Yeah. Let's look over to Hebrews uh, chapter 5. Is that the one you're thinking about, Andrew? Right. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. If you look down to verse uh, 7. Hebrews 5.7 In the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Okay. And some translations there have fear. But that would not be the... Well... With the translation here with the ESV, the ESV is looking at that as Jesus' respect for the Father and not fear as in being afraid. So, But Hebrews 5, 7 does bring out more of a range of the emotions that Jesus would experience. What about someone else? When Yes, he did, but get very weary and tired at the well. Okay. Go go. Okay. So that's another human trait. Uh, Nathan is bringing out from John eight that Jesus showed uh, compassion and mercy toward the woman caught in adultery. Yes. That's another good human trait of Jesus, uh, Miss Susan is saying. Uh, Jesus uh, desired to have his friends close by. He would, he would take, especially Peter, James, and John, he, would, he took them to the garden with him and took them on the mountain uh, with him. So, uh, God, God is a very social being. He, he, he created us. Why did he create us? he wanted fellowship that's good that's right another human trait of Jesus slept he was sleeping in that boat when the storm came up and the disciples expressed fear Jesus was most definitely human but also divine one of the great awesome mysteries of God it, it would be difficult to explain that but it is something that uh, actually happened okay so same thing very human trait jesus shows there in luke 22 in his prayer in the garden where he asked that the cup might be removed from him. So there was a dread of the tomb, a dread of the cross right there um, that he was showing. Very human, but also very faithful in that expression as well. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to that. He didn't to go to the mountains sometimes. Do what now? He liked to go to the mountains sometimes. Well, yeah. yeah, he loved. Go- he spent a lot of time on the mountains. That's right. Very human trait there. Get away, uh, uh, whether from burning or Caesarea, Philippi. We can have a fresh, refreshing spirit just to get away. Okay, Jesus um, very much human in so many of these um, experiences of his, but he did like to go to the mountains. He spent a lot of time on the mountains. Spent a lot of time on the seashores. Um, both doing his work, but also, also finding times of uh, retreat with his disciples. Very good. I mentioned he had to suffer like we all do with a lot of frustration, teaching what he knew was right, fulfilling all the prophecies that were before him, and yet people still not believe in him. Yes, I believe that is... Saying that Jesus would experience uh, similar frustrations as, as other humans do, especially uh, like Christians who teach and, and, um, and persuade with the scripture, but uh, sometimes rejected. Jesus was often rejected as well. So he would have that similar experience of frustration, uh, probably more so than any of us, really. Um, John 1. 10 and 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Well, that is true in so many ways. The world is his. He created us. He came here for our good, and then we didn't receive him. came into his own Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. And Even some of his own fleshly family for a while. I did not believe on him. Yes. He was tempted like we are. That's, and especially beyond us it would seem there in, in his experience in the wilderness say after having fasted those forty days. Extreme temptation there. Well that frustration, he really got frustrated with Peter. Yes. That's a good example of what, what Brother Brent was saying when Peter came to him in, in Matthew sixteen. And said, Lord, none of this is going to happen to you. We're not going to let it happen to you. And Jesus had been speaking how he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and be resurrected on the third day. Peter said, far be it, Lord. We're not going to let that happen to you. And then what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. So definitely some frustration there with Peter. Love. No greater love. Yeah. 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 Another human trait Jesus shows uh, when uh, he, he got separated from his parents at, at age 12 there in Jerusalem at Passover time. Uh, tremendous uh, story there, but very much like uh, a child in the sense that a child would not think to to uh, alarm anybody that he might be doing something different. He just did it and then left his parents to find him. Okay. That's very good. So here Jesus is again as he is dying on the cross reminding us that he is the Son of Man. And he is uh, the Son of God. All right. So moving on here, notice in John uh, 19, again, verse 30, Jesus says, It is finished. What is finished here? What is it that's finished? His, work on earth. his what, Sam? His work on earth. Okay, let's go with that first. His work on earth. Jesus talks a lot about that. Uh, look in uh, John 17 in his prayer. He looked to God and prayed. And he said, uh, <clears throat> John 17 verse 4. He said to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So certainly one thing that Jesus is thinking about here is he is finished, he's finishing his work. Very much. So much involved in thinking about the work of Jesus. John 9, 4. Jesus said, we must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. Jesus constantly had that thought of getting what he must get done as time presses on. He's finishing up the work that the Father gave him to do. That is something that we want to be able to say to the Father as we end our life here, whenever that happens, however that happens. We want to be able to say like Jesus, Father, I have glorified your name on earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was a great organizer of his time. In he used it in time, let it be That's a good thought. Mike was saying Jesus was very good at organizing his time, his, his life, knowing, you know, he often said, my hour has not yet come. He knew what was ahead of him. And he pressed on. An uh, amazing life, Because as he's pressing on, yet you find him spending so much time with people. We, we tend to think, when well, I've got so much to do, I don't have time for people, but Jesus came here for people. It's amazing to watch him live and work. And he only lived a little over 30 years. So look at all that he did in just that short amount of time. And he didn't really start his public ministry until he was uh, about 30 years old. All right. So notice uh, the idea of finishing your work. Jesus finished his work. What else was being finished here uh, when Jesus said it is finished? what? Okay. Yeah, he has promised to build the church. Right. So he is—he's continuing that process, certainly. Uh, but as many of you just said, also he's fulfilling the scripture, right? Fulfilling the scripture, and he is finishing uh, that his part of fulfilling. Uh, scripture, which was a huge, uh, huge part of it. Um, notice, uh, let's just look at a couple examples of that. Um, look, look back here to Luke twenty-four for a minute. Luke twenty-four, toward the last part of the chapter, as Jesus gives the great commission. Here in Luke twenty-four, but notice in verse forty-four, Luke twenty-four forty-four. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance or remission of sins be, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from uh, Jerusalem. Notice also in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' familiar statement in Matthew 5, around verse 17, when Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is part of the finishing work that Jesus is doing here on the cross and there are many prophecies yet to be fulfilled after Jesus dies resurrection would be one of those ascension up on high would be some of that and then of course the uh, church is going to be established on the day of Pentecost and then other prophecies following that will be fulfilled uh, regarding the name of Jesus But certainly he is finishing a big part of the prophecies in scripture as he dies on the cross. There's no saying. Men work from son to son. woman's work is never done. the are the one who finished it. You have to sit down because he did finish the work. Yes. He finished the work. Um, one thing that Jesus uh, fulfilled was the demands of the law. You know, no one had ever come to earth and lived a perfect life. No one had ever been able to live under the Old Testament law and completely, perfectly fulfill those demands. Jesus was able to do that. You might reference John 8:29, 29. When Jesus said, I always do those things pleasing in the sight of my Father. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law. He, fu- he, fulfilled, he filled it up by fulfilling the prophecies, yes, but also by his life, he, he completed the demands of the law, which qualified him then to, to fulfill the scripture of being the perfect sacrifice. So I think that's fascinating as well. In Galatians uh, three uh, verse 10, we read Galatians 3:10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, by the old law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is is hanged on a tree. So the indication there is that no one has ever been able to fulfill all the demands of the law except that Jesus come, which qualified him then to go to that tree, to the cross, and become a curse for us. Jesus, when he said, it is finished, he was saying a lot. He was saying a whole lot. And uh, we're so grateful uh, to be able to read this and let it soak in uh, to our souls. All right, let's continue reading here in, in John nineteen thirty-one. Make a little progress here. John nineteen thirty-one. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews. Of all the people, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. Isn't it interesting how evil people are, still can somehow be religious? These are the Jews who are sending Jesus to the cross. These same fellows now are coming along and saying oh, we we've got our we've got our religion, we've got our We've got some thoughts toward God here. And um, we we need this day. We don't want these bodies hanging on the Sabbath day. So verse 32, The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. Verse 33, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So, what do you think is the importance of that little statement there—that Jesus was dead already? They didn't take his life, brother. He said, "I'll take my life." And he died for of The the "One bond would not be broken." It does fulfill this. Passover lamb scripture here. Okay. Go back um, to these earlier verses. Notice here in John 19.30 it says, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So it's very true that they were not taking his life away from him. He was giving it up. No. Galatians 1.4, he gave himself for our sins. Uh, John 10:17 and 18. No man takes my life from me. Jesus said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. John 10:17, 18. So definitely, when Jesus dies here, it is He who is allowing this to happen. Notice it says He bowed His head. Okay. Think about the enormous blood loss that Jesus is already at by the time He says this. Think about the whipping. That he got before they ever drug him out to to Calvary's hill. Think about to think of think. Of, how was he able to hold his head up in order to be able on his own to bow his head? That that just sort of struck me. I I don't know that. You no. Know, when you're sick you can't, we've heard people say, I couldn't hold my head up. You know. Here Jesus is, he determined that we would know when it was time to die. He held that head up, and then when it was time to die, he bowed his head, and he gave up his life. We need to remember, Jesus is always in control here. He's allowing this uh, to happen to him. Uh, up until this very time, he could call legions of angels to die. Yes. Uh, Nathan added in there that up to this very time, he could call legions, legions of angels to come and stop all of this. And, uh, he is allowing himself uh, to, to die for our sins. This is how important it is for him to die for our sins. He gave and gave and then he forgave. That's that's a powerful thought itself. Matthew's account has Jesus crying out at his death uh, with a loud voice. Again, notice that he's able to, to have the strength to cry out, that, that uh, if he wanted to come back and live at this moment, he could. But he has allowed himself to be that sin offering for mankind. Exactly right? Now he says that he was already dead. Critics of the resurrection of Jesus have sometimes said, well, he he was just unconscious. But later they revived him. But the testimony of all involved here is that Jesus actually died. These men who were crucifying Jesus were experts in crucifixion. They were experts in death. They knew when somebody was dead. And if Jesus had not already been dead, what would they have done? Broke his, Broke his leg. Jesus was dead. And he came back from life through the power of the Lord. This is testimony to the very song that Tim led us in here a little bit ago. Up from the grave he arose. This is, this is where your resurrection studies start well, way before this, this is a big part of the resurrection study. Was Jesus actually dead? Did he actually die? Well, there's so many testimonies for the fact that he actually died. And if you continue to read here in John 19, you've got Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two upstanding men who were handling the burial of Jesus, knowing very well that he was absolutely uh, dead. But they are testifying in their work uh, to the resurrection of Jesus as well. Okay, and be sure you get the references on the breaking of the legs going back to Exodus twelve, and that's they did not break the legs of the Passover lamb or under the Old Testament Passover, and Jesus of course is becoming the fulfillment of that prophecy of the Passover lamb. Also another reference there on um, his legs not broken is Psalm 3420, I believe it is, that his legs would not be broken. So God knew all along exactly how things would take place as his son came and offered himself for mankind. Thank you for being in class this morning.